Um, Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And um, Jesus' death on the cross, you know, was the darkest point in human history, but um, the cross represents our freedom, our forgiveness, our redemption, and the grave is empty, he is risen. And the song is called, It Is Finished, and it talks about the cross and know it if you would sing along I think the words will be up there the cross is my beginning drawn in the sand the end of all my striving now I am born again there Jesus was forsaken so I will never be grace is my salvation the gift of God the work of Calvary it is done it is finished Christ has won he is risen grace is here love has tried needs no addition His mercy is complete His love is not in question The Son of God has spoken over me has 
Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one underneath the chair that you're sitting in. Psalm chapter 22, it's important that you have a Bible in your lap and looking at your Bible because what I have to say really doesn't matter. It's what God's Word says. So have your Bible open and make sure I'm preaching the Bible this morning. Hold me accountable. Psalm chapter 22 We're going to read this chapter this morning. Please stand with me as we honor God and the reading of his word together this morning. Psalm 22. It's the choir master according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God. I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted, and they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Verse nine. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. 
Verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat in worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that Jesus has done it. That it's finished just as they sang just now. I pray that these great truths about Christ would would work in us, Lord, for your good pleasure. That you would give us the perspective of the cross and of the resurrection. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. I remember being, being a little kid going to Knoxville, Tennessee. I grew up about 40 miles from Knoxville, Tennessee up in the mountains. And so I guess I hadn't seen too many elevators or escalators growing up where I grew up. And being in the, on the escalator, I imagine any kid, whether they'd seen one or not, be playing on one. So I was playing on an escalator, you know, uh, when my mom was shopping for clothes and I was probably about eight years old, something like that. And, and uh, I was going up and down the escalator, keeping on going and mom just kind of went on. And all of a sudden I realized that I was alone. And I didn't know where my mom was. And so I said very quietly, help, mama, where are you? And some kind strangers took me to my mom, but I felt like I'd been abandoned. And I imagine a lot of us have done such and such when we was kids, but even as we've gotten older, there's been more serious times when we felt like we've been abandoned, maybe even by our parents or maybe by people we thought cared about us, or maybe we felt abandoned by God. C.S. Lewis felt like he had been abandoned by God, the famous Christian author. When his wife died, in his book, A Grief Observed, he wrote these words about how he felt about how God had looked upon him after his wife's passing. He said these words. But go to him, go to God, he says, but go to him when, you, when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and a double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. This is how C.S. Lewis, as a believer at the time, felt at the passing of his wife and felt as if God was silent toward him. He felt abandoned. It's how King David felt when King David was inspired to write this psalm. He was looking at his own situation his own circumstances, and this is how he felt as if God had abandoned him at times. Perhaps this is how the disciples felt 
after Jesus died on the cross. They'd forgotten probably his words when he said, Jesus said to him earlier, don't, don't be worried now, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. He said, I will come to you. But when he died on the cross and they all kind of ran off, even out of the garden of Gethsemane, they all took off. Not just Peter denied Jesus. Perhaps they felt abandoned by Jesus. And perhaps that's why the women, when they got up on the third day, they weren't coming expecting an empty tomb. They were coming to anoint a dead body. Alone and abandoned by God, perhaps, is how they felt. And what I want us to remind us of this morning when we look at Psalm chapter 22 is this is how Jesus felt. He felt abandoned by the Father, yet Jesus is God. There's a mystery here that we can't fully understand the degree to which it goes. Jesus experienced that to some degree on the cross for our sins. And as we think about things we're going through in life, especially if we're believers this morning, this is the main thing that we need to remember is this. Jesus was forsaken for our salvation. He was abandoned by God to some mysterious extent by God the Father for our salvation. We see it right there in verse one if you look at your Bible. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? God, where are you? He says in the next verse. Why are you so far from saving me? He wants to be saved, delivered from his trouble. That's what David the psalmist was praying. But what we see in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew and other places, is Jesus prays this on the cross. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of this. This, is, this Psalm chapter 22 is about me. And so, of course, we remember these, this verse, don't we? Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Consciously quoting this Psalm. Jesus was forsaken for our salvation because that's what was happening on the, on the cross. The title I've chosen for the message this morning, if you noticed, was Abandonment by God versus Assurance of Salvation. Two extremes, right? Abandonment by God, Assurance of Salvation versus Assurance of Salvation. The reason I put the verses in there is because I, one of the things I want you to notice here in this psalm, if you didn't already, is the back and forth of the psalmist in Psalm 22. There's doubt and then there's confidence. There's despair, and then there's trust. He's gonna save me. Did you see that back and forth in the psalm here? God, where are you? But then in verse three, yeah, you're the holy one, enthroned. God, they're wagging their heads at me, yet you were with me at my mother's birth. You've always been with me. But God, where are you? But I'm gonna trust in you. There's this verse and this back and forth. Abandonment by God's how he feels, but yet there's this wrestling for assurance that he's gonna be delivered. So how David prays. And so Jesus feels on the cross, even in the garden, the beginning of the garden of Gethsemane in his prayer, if the Lord would take away this cup. My son asked me last night as we were having devotions with our family, he said, and I read from this psalm, and I told the kids I was gonna preach on this tomorrow, daddy's gonna to preach on it. One of my sons asked me, he said, dad, why aren't you gonna preach about Easter tomorrow? And I said, son, we just read from Luke chapter 24, verse 44, where it says, then he said to them, Jesus said to the disciples when he appeared to the disciples after he had risen again and had breakfast with them, said, you know, a ghost don't have a body and can't eat with you, so yes, I'm really alive. Jesus said, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So when my son asked me last night, he said, Dad, I thought you was gonna preach about Easter. Why are you preaching from Psalms? I said, because son, Jesus told the disciples that the Psalms, in fact, the entire Old Testament are about him. It's about the death and resurrection of Christ. Everything in the Bible culminates in this event. And we can see it explicitly in Psalm 22 because there's so many places where this Psalm is quoted about Jesus or Jesus himself is quoting it himself. The mocking of Christ, if you look in verses six through seven, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me, they wag, they wag their mouths at me. Matthew says in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verse 39, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him. If he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. So he was mocked, just as the psalmist said about his situation, and he feels this way. Jesus was, Jesus suffered like no man has ever suffered. And he was mocked. And the psalmist says in verse 15 that his roof is, he's in such a situation, David expresses that it feels like his roof is stuck to the top of his mouth. His mouth is dry. He's in a dry place, perhaps spiritually, but it's Jesus who, who, the, who the New Testament says fulfills this when Jesus says, I thirst. So I, you, you felt that way. Jesus, Jesus really did come to that place where he thirsted for water because of his situation. And he says in verse 16, they've pierced my hands and feet. The psalmist David says, it feels like they're nailing me, they're nailing me down. But it's Jesus who literally was nailed in his hands and feet to the cross. And the psalmist says in verse 18, David says about his situation, it's like they're waiting for me to die. They're gambling for my clothes. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Yet John chapter 19 says they really did gamble for Jesus' clothes. They considered him already dead as he's suffering on the cross. They begin to gamble for his clothes and it's one tunic that could not be separated. So they said, well, let's just gamble for that because he's dead anyway. But it's not just, I want you to understand before I go on, it's not just the suffering portions of this Psalm chapter 22 that apply to Jesus. The whole Psalm applies to Jesus. And the whole Psalm is not about suffering, is it? It's not all about, God, where are you? Abandonment by God and suffering. There's also a tremendous amount in this Psalm of assurance of salvation, assurance of deliverance. And for Jesus, that meant assurance of resurrection. Look at verse 22 in your Bible. Coming to the point, turning point really of the psalm, this wrestling back and forth, David cries out, assured that the Lord will in fact deliver him from whatever situation he was going through. He said, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. In other words, God, you're gonna deliver me. 
I'm going to see salvation. Whatever the situation was for David, God, you're going to bring me out of this and I'm going to go into the place of Israel where Israel meets together for worship and I'm going to praise you in the congregation again. Yet it is Jesus who fulfills this because it's quoted in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. And in Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible says this. For it was fitting that for he and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Isn't that what verse 22 said of Psalm chapter 22? I will sing. With your, my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. The author of Hebrews says that applies to Jesus. Now, how is it that Jesus suffering, hanging on the cross, can also be the fulfillment of verse 22 and say, I will praise you in the gate congregation. I will praise you among my brothers. He's bringing, the, the author of Hebrews says, many sons to glory. Many, those who are children of God, true children of God will be brought to glory through his death and through his resurrection. The reason the, the author of Hebrews can quote this about Jesus is because Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus was assured that he would not only suffer, that God had truly not abandoned him once and for all, that he would be raised on the third day and therefore many sons be brought to glory. So as we think of this abandonment by God versus assurance of salvation, what we need to understand is this as we think about how this psalm is fulfilled by Jesus. We are assured of salvation on the basis of this. We are assured of salvation on the basis of Jesus suffering on the cross. That's the first 21 verses. And verses 22 through verse 31 are on the basis of the resur his resurrection from the dead and what will be accomplished through Jesus' suffering, which is the salvation of the nations, of Jews and Gentiles who place their faith and trust in him. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. It's the most important question you'll ever ask yourself. How can I know I'm saved? How can you know that you are saved? How can you know that when you die, you'll go to heaven? Are you just planning on it? Are you just hoping for it? Or do you know that if you died right now, you're going to heaven? Well, I'm gonna give you a couple questions to ask yourself about how can you know whether or not you're saved because we want assurance of salvation. We don't wanna be abandoned by God here in this life in situations and circumstances, but brothers and sisters, there's something worse than death and it's being separated from God forever. It's being abandoned by God forever in hell, which is what we deserve. How can I know I've been saved from that, from the penalty of my sins? First question, am I looking to Jesus? Am I looking to Jesus? We've been going through a Pilgrim's Progress study with the kids on Wednesday nights and had a good group of kids going through that. And then this book, Pilgrim's Progress, the character Christian is on his way to the celestial city, which represents heaven. And he's leaving the city of destruction. And as he's been reading a book that he's found, which we find out is the Bible, he's told by a character named Evangelist to go through the narrow gate. And if you go through the narrow gate, which represents Jesus, then you'll be on the right road. 
Yesterday, my little girl was in the garage and she had her bicycle and she was backing up her bicycle between the van and a workbench and she was backing it out and she looked up at me and grinned. She said, narrow, it's a, it's a narrow way. She said, I got that from Pilgrim's Progress. I said, very, very good, Lydia. Uh, I'm glad you're listening. The point is here is when we think of what Christ has done on the cross for us, there is a, he is a narrow way. He is the only way to salvation. Are you looking to Jesus? You say, Pastor, where do you, where do you find this in the psalm? Well, look with me in the Bible in verse 23. Look with me in your Bible about what the psalmist says about his assurance of deliverance along with others who are God's true people. Look at verse 23. I will tell of your name to my brothers. That's verse 22. Look at verse 23. You who fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to trust in the Lord. It means to follow the Lord. It doesn't mean to, to name mere uh, intellectual facts about Christ, but it means these things are true and therefore I must go that way. I must go the narrow way. I must live for him. Those who fear the Lord is who he talks to, not just everybody, not just everybody that calls themselves an Israelite, but those Israelites who fear the Lord. Verse 24 says this, look at verse 24. He's not despised or afforded the affliction of the afflicted. Are you looking at your Bible? Look at the end of verse 24, listen to it carefully. He's not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Are we looking to Jesus, are we crying to the Lord? Crying out to him, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the psalmist did here. That's what Jesus the Lord did to the Lord God when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and even on the cross. And so such a desperation should characterize those of us who realize that we are sinners under the condemnation of God. We realize we deserve to be abandoned by God and we must desperately cry to the Lord. Those who cry to the Lord, those who fear the Lord are those who are looking to the Lord. They're looking to Jesus. And notice what it says in verse 26. Look at your Bible. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. These are not just people that call themselves believers who have the name of the Lord upon their lips, who play church and go to church and play the religious games. These are those who seek the Lord. They fear the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. They're depending upon the Lord. They're looking to the Lord. They're looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 27 says this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Do you see that? The first part of verse 27, look at it. All, those, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. So what does it mean to look to the Lord, to look to Jesus who's the fulfillment of this psalm means that it is one who fears the Lord. It is one who has crying out to the Lord, I need you, I'm, I'm putting my trust in you. It's one who's seeking the Lord. It's one who is turning around and they're turning to follow the Lord. You wanna know whether or not you're going to heaven? When you die, do you want assurance of spiritual salvation 
Am I looking to Jesus? Are you looking to Jesus? Not looking at him, but are you trusting him? Your whole hope of salvation is not, I'm being good enough, plus I'm looking to Jesus. No, it's, I'm looking to Jesus. He's everything. It is finished. He paid it all, and I'm looking to him, and all my trust is in him, and because I'm looking to him, I'm following him. I'm turning to him. I'm fearing him. I'm seeking him. I'm looking to Jesus. You're not like Lot's wife looking back trying to have two feet and one in, in two kingdoms, one foot in each kingdom, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of man. You're looking to Jesus and you're following him. And if you're not, you're gonna find yourself in a sad place, abandoned by the Lord as you deserve. And it is not our prayer that that would happen. Therefore, taking this opportunity to be very explicitly clear, look solely to Jesus Christ for your salvation and nothing else. If you are, you look into your baptism plus Jesus, you look into your good works plus your church membership, plus I never did that so I'm not that bad of a person plus Jesus, you're not looking to Jesus. You're looking to yourself. Turn to Jesus. Leave religion behind. Find Jesus. Turn to Christ. He's, he's gonna find you and turn to him. Looking to Jesus. Second question, am I looking like Jesus? You say, yeah, I'm looking to Jesus, so are you looking like Jesus? Just as we just talking about, if you're looking at Jesus, you've turned to him, you're seeking him. It, it's, there's a change that takes place. What does that change look like? If you've been professed faith in Christ for a while, then there should be some measurable fruit in your life, some change, not that, not that, the change is what saved you or the changes that's taking place is what saved you. It's Christ that saves you. The Lord that saves you changes you, folks. Are you looking like Jesus? What does looking like Jesus look like? Isn't it a great truth that God will never abandon his people? That's what this passage of scripture reminds us of. Since God will never, listen, since God will never abandon his people, you must run with endurance the race set before you. To look like Jesus is to know this. He's never abandoning me. So I'm going to run with endurance the race set before me. I'm not going to lollygag. I'm not going to play church. I'm not just going to show up every once in a while. I'm not just going to name the name of Jesus and tell everybody, yeah, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? No, I'm serious about following Christ. I'm running this race. I'm enduring the race set before me. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this, doesn't it? Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was set before him? Joy was set before him. And you know what's set before us? Joy is set before us. We're not running this race because there's a burden set before us and a burden upon our back that we've got to get rid of by our own endurance. Jesus did that on the cross, amen? Jesus took care of that. I'm running the race for joy set before me, the joy and assurance of salvation that one day I will be in the presence of the Nazarene. I stand amazed in the presence 
of the Nazarene. One day I'll be in his presence. There's joy set before me. So am I looking like Jesus? Where do we see that in this passage of scripture? Number one, God's people may feel like God has abandoned them. We've acknowledged that already this morning. I was at the nursing home earlier this week and talked to several people and in my conversations with these folks, whether family members or whether residents, each of them, there was a sense of loneliness and questions and hurt that each felt. And in situations like that, I find myself as a pastor, as a believer, seeking to reassure these professing believers that I run into in those situations of the Lord's presence. Because what's going on in this psalm? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a sense that God is not present any longer. God, where are you? But the truth is, God has promised, and we see it in Jesus' words as well, he will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. But God's people may feel like God has abandoned them. It may feel like God's not present. That's verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It may feel like God is silent. Does it feel like you're praying sometimes and prayers just seems to be a waste of time and it doesn't go any further than the ceiling? God, I've prayed about this and it's still here and it won't go away. It feels like you're being silent. It feels like you don't care. That's what the psalmist praying in verse two, right? God, I cry by day, but you do not answer and by night, but I find no rest. I'm crying out, but I'm not hearing anything. It may feel like God is silent. It may feel like you're all alone. It feels like sometimes you're all alone that everybody's against you. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I think I'll go eat worms. Maybe you feel like a worm. That's what the psalmist prayed in verse six. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. Just seems like everybody's against you. Everything's against you. The Lord's not hearing you. Don't seem like the Lord's hearing your prayer. Don't seem like he's present. And just everything seems to be against you sometimes. Feels like there's no way out. Feels like you're surrounded. Verse 11 says, be not far from me, trouble is near. Verse 12 says, many bulls that can encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Where would you go if you wanted to get a strong bull for a bullfight? I reckon I'd go to Texas. Because that'd be a good place to find a, that's where they raise more cattle than anywhere else in the United States. So I reckon I'd go down there. Well, they said, strong bulls of Bashan well, Bashan was a place in the, in the psalmist's day where strong bulls were raised because of the climate and because of the particular agricultural setting of the area. So when he said strong bulls of Bashan, the people would have understood in verse 12 when he says that, what he was talking about. That these people that surround him, that mock him, that are trying to do him harm are like these, are like the most, these vicious, ferocious bulls from Bashan. And he's surrounded by them. Verse 16 says... Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. He feels surrounded. He feels like, sometimes it feels like to the psalmist that there's no way out. Do you feel like that sometimes? Feel like abandoned by God. God doesn't hear you. Everybody's against you. God is silent. And I'm surrounded and there is simply no way out of this situation. You just feel like you're in despair. That's how the psalmist felt. And sometimes situation can feel like death itself that you have no strength left. You see verse 13, they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Verse 13 says, verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of wax, my, out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's metal within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Don't have any strength left. 
and my tongue sticks to my jaws. The end of verse 15, are you looking at it? It says, you lay me in the dust of death. The psalmist feels like God, it feels like you've abandoned me. Don't feel like you're hearing my prayers. Don't feel like you're present. Feels like I'm surrounded. Feel like there's no way out. And it feels like I'm just, it feels like death. Feels like you, you have laid me in the dust of death. Feels like you are killing me here. But I want you to understand the psalmist felt like this, but Jesus experienced this. Jesus fulfills this. No one has suffered like our Jesus. And he suffered, he was forsaken, he was abandoned for our salvation. We gotta keep that in mind as we suffer here, as we feel like we're surrounded, we feel like there's no way out of whatever situation it might be. We need to understand, we've already been delivered of the worst thing that could ever happen to us, right? Salvation of our souls, abandonment by God will not happen to those who trust in Jesus, amen. If you're not going to amen me, I'm going to amen myself. Amen. So what this means, God's people may feel like God has abandoned them. What it means when we ask the question, am I looking to Jesus? Now I'll ask the second question, am I looking like Jesus? And it feels like God's abandoned me. Then what needs to happen and what needs to be the response is that we are praying honestly to God. This is what it means to look like Jesus because this is Psalm 22. I'm praying honestly to God while I'm preaching the gospel to myself. Isn't that what's happening right here in this chapter? Isn't the psalmist praying honestly to God, this is how I feel, God. But then he comes right back in like verse three and four, and he says, but I remember how you've been with your people in the past and how you, we trusted then and how you delivered then. And I remember how you were with me when I was a baby and how you raised me up, you've always been with me. He's reminding himself of truths of God's past presence and deliverances. And in a much greater way, God has delivered us from, from, from abandonment to hell because of our sins. So what we must do is the psalmist models for us in Psalm 22, and as Jesus does, if we're looking like Jesus, is in this life, as we have abandoned the world to follow Christ, we've turned to Jesus, we're looking to Jesus, what we must do along the way is we suffer and we don't understand. Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm trying to do what's right in your eyes. I don't understand why I can't get out of this situation. I don't understand why I'm still feeling this way. You don't feel like you're hearing my prayer, but God, I'm pouring my heart out to you. But I remember this. I'm gonna preach the gospel to myself. You suffered for my sins. You must love me. You must have a good purpose and plan for this. So I'm gonna keep on walking. With Jesus, that's what it means to look like Jesus. His tribulation doesn't come and then you go away because of tribulation, like it says in the parable of souls. But it means, and it doesn't mean you just, you know, get over it. No, it's no just getting over it. You're honest with your feelings before the Lord in a humble, respectful way but you preach the gospel to yourself and you keep running the race. To look like Jesus also means that, you know, all people deserve to be eternally abandoned by God and by now that point's made me clear in this message. We're told in Romans that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of you, including myself, we don't measure up. I don't measure up before the Lord. If it's just me standing before the Lord, 
Hell is clearly what I deserve and you too. All people deserve to be eternally abandoned by God and the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. It's hell. But what I want you to see in this psalm is that true Israelites, when we look at verse 22, will not be abandoned by God even though they deserve to be abandoned by God. They've sinned against God, you've sinned against God, yet true Israelites will not be abandoned by God. You see that in verse 22? I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I'll praise you. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand of all of him, you offspring of Israel. Now you say, preacher, it's talking about Israelites. Well, first of all, it says you who fear the Lord. Not all Israelites feared the Lord. In fact, most didn't. And the amazing thing and the promise that we have in fulfillment of verse 22, as I quoted from Hebrews earlier, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying to bring many sons to glory, Jews and Gentiles. You know the old song? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, stick out your tongue, turn around. I used to do that with kids when I was a children's minister, volunteer, and whew, we just, we got in a big old mess over that. Father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them, and so are you. And there's no, there's no Jewish blood flowing through my veins, but the blood of Jesus covers my sin through faith. We're children of God, not because of our ethnic heritage. We're children of God, not because he created you. You're a child of God if you've been born again through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And all those are true Israelites. All those are part of the people of God. Those people will not be abandoned by God even though they deserve it. And notice as we keep reading through the passage of Scripture, it's for all kinds of people from all nations in every generation. Look at verse 24. Do you see it? He's not despised or poured the affliction of the afflicted, and he's not hidden his face from him. He had, but has heard when he cried to him. You see? The afflicted, they've not been abandoned. Keep reading. Verse 25, from you comes my praise in a great congregation. It talks about the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. It says in verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before him. For kingship belongs to the world. He rules over the nations. So you see, it's all kinds of people from all kinds of nations, not just the nation of Israel, all nations. Those in Bosnia that we're trying to reach, those in, Af in Argentina that we've been seeking to reach, all nations, some of them will know the Lord. They will not be abandoned by God because they will trust in Jesus. We are promised that Jesus Jesus will bring his sheep. And that's the great missionary urgency and assurance and imperative that we have. All who trust in Jesus will never be abandoned. All kinds of people from, every, from all nations in every generation. You notice what it says in verse 30. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told to the Lord to the coming generation. And they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. It is God's promise that even though all people are born in sin, dead in sin, and deserve to be abandoned by God, that all who look to Jesus and trust in Jesus, all of them will never be abandoned. And so what does it mean then to look like Jesus in this context, as we consider this point? 
To look like Jesus means that we share the good news of salvation to all people. To look like Jesus means we don't have a calloused heart towards those who are unsaved. That we, we look to those who have never heard of Christ or we think about people coming to our country and we're concerned about it, rightly concerned, but our, but our impulse more is our safety rather than their salvation. There must be a check in our spirit. We must share the good news of salvation to all people. That means our neighbors, our friends, and those that we come into contact with and those to whom God might lead us to, even if that be overseas somewhere. To be like Jesus is to pray honestly to God while preaching the gospel to ourselves and to share the good news of salvation to all people because it is for all people that he came for. All kinds of sinners from all gener in every generation, all kinds of people. The last question before I close, I've asked two questions. Am I looking to Jesus? Am I looking like Jesus? And finally, am I looking for Jesus? Are you looking for Jesus to come? Are you looking for him to come back? I remember my little niece, Shaylee, when she was little. This was before I was even married. And uh, my brother, my younger brother got married before I did. You know how that makes you feel. And uh, I was watching my little niece one time. Him and his wife had gotten divorced. And uh, Shaylee was just a little tiny thing. And I remember watching Blue Clues with her. You remember that show, Blue's Clues? About driving you nuts after a while, I guess. And, and I remember she'd ask every once in a while, when daddy gonna be here, when daddy gonna be here? And she'd get a little restless and she watched Blue's Clues. Then she'd get a little restless. Then all of a sudden she heard the garage door going up and she jumped up out of that chair, I remember, and she ran her little feet in there looking for daddy, looking out the window for daddy to come home. And the point I wanna make is, is Jesus is coming to get us. And when Jesus is coming to get us, it changes our behavior. We just can't sit still. We just can't go on about our lives just doing our own thing, acting like this world is all there is to it. No, if, we're, if we truly know the Lord, we're looking to Jesus and we're looking more like Jesus in how we respond to trials and our burden for lost people and we're looking for Jesus and it, it's seen in how we live our life. We're becoming more like him in holiness. We're becoming more like him in our desire to proclaim the gospel to the nations. We're, we're not consumed about hoarding up treasures on this earth but putting up treasures in heaven. We are seeking first. We're trying with God's help to seek first the kingdom of God. My great burden is for those that truly know the Lord to have great assurance that you know the Lord. And for those that might be present that think you know the Lord and don't, that you would not be comfortable while you're here this morning. That you would understand that you've not come to true salvation and you must turn to the Lord. You must trust in the Lord today or perish in your sin. You don't have to though. The Lord's been gracious to you. He's brought you here, right? You're hearing the gospel again. Some have never heard it. You're hearing it. Many of you heard it many times. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Quit playing around. Trust in Jesus. Look to Jesus. Are you looking for Jesus? Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you. For those of you who are my brothers and sisters, I'm looking for Jesus. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. 
And wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, think about it. How wonderful and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. We were singing that earlier, I just thought about how marvelous and how wonderful in that day will my song forever be. Man, what a day that's going to be. I'm looking for Jesus, but I'm praying that my life is being conformed that way more and more. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Our, our prayer today as we gather here is that we would have worshipped the Lord and been in his presence and that Christ would be glorified because he, no one has suffered like Jesus. And that's not to minimize anybody's circumstance here this morning, the relationship you have with your husband, the hurt you feel over someone that's close to you that's passed away or someone that's betrayed you, or your desire to be financially stable or to have a husband or a wife. The truth of the matter is, though, that no one has suffered like Jesus, and he has suffered for you. Are you trusting in him for salvation? And if you are, as a believer, are you still trusting in him right now that he's got a good plan and purpose? Father, I, I pray right now that the gospel, this good news of what Christ has done and his resurrection, proving that what he has done has satisfied your requirement for sin and so that we will not be abandoned, would provide strong assurance of salvation for those who have called upon Jesus. And for those who have yet not done so, Father, I pray that they would turn from their sin and look to Jesus for salvation. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing this final hymn this morning. And before we sing together as you're standing, if you're here this morning and you'd like to come and pray about something that God's at work in in your life, I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. You can pray by yourself or you can get my attention. And also, maybe on the way out this morning, I'll leave this open to you as well, just an open invitation, so to speak. I'd love the chance to chat with you before you leave. If you get my attention, say, Pastor, I'd love to talk with you, then we can, we can try to talk this morning or set up a time to do so. But right now, you respond to what the Lord's telling you to do. Let's sing together.
Tim Johnson one of our deacons. I, I think I noticed his name in the bulletin to come and pray for us this morning. So as he's coming, I uh, just want to remind you if you're here today and something you want to pray about or talk, to, talk with me about, uh, uh, I'll be standing at the back doors again. I'd love the chance to, to meet you if I haven't met you already or, or chat with you as well, pray with you about anything at all. Just a reminder, we're not having an evening service tonight and our evening service when it begins next Sunday night will start at 6 o'clock. It'll actually be our children's Bible drill uh, for the church that night. So keep that in mind. You want some attention back there or something, you know? All right. <laughs> it was Tim. All right. We're so glad you, you came here today. Hey, I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but I'm pleading with you. Be sure you're trusting only in Jesus Christ because if something happens to you today, you will certainly go to hell. And if you are trusting in Jesus Christ and something happens to you today, you will most certainly be in the presence of Jesus. Amen. Man, we'd love to talk with you about that. Please hear me. Brother Tim, would you close us in prayer? Let's close in prayer with a prayer of thanksgiving, and we'll base it out of Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, we thank you that although you were the form of God, you did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you emptied yourself, and you took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of us, being found in human form, Jesus, we're so thankful, we're just in awe that you humbled yourself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Jesus, the Father has exalted you and bestowed you with a name that is above every name, so that your name, Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.